Welcome to this episode of the Kuiper Collective Podcast. Once again, I'll be your host, Jeff Fisher, Academic Dean and Professor of Theology at Kuiper College. This is week two of our discussion about the recently published book, From Lament to Advocacy, Black Religious Education and Public Ministry. As a faculty at Kuiper College, we're reading this book together, and you get to listen in on our conversations about what we're learning and thinking. One of the great features of this book is that one of our own teaching faculty, Dr. Rochelle White, wrote a chapter and has contributed to these conversations significantly. Uh, last week, we began this series by discussing the preface and the introduction, which set up the rest of the chapters and the rest of uh, the episodes that we'll be talking about here. This week, we're going to be discussing chapter one, Religious Education and Lament, Inviting Cries from the Heart, Guiding the Way Forward. Uh, this chapter is by Ann E. Streety Wimberly. Dr. Streety Wimberly is Professor Emerita of Christian Education and, and the Executive Director of the Youth Hope Builders Academy at the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta. Uh, she's also one of the editors of this book. Um, so before we start our discussion here, I'd like to invite our other participants to introduce themselves. This is Lisa Hogebaum, Professor of Intercultural and Biblical Studies. I'm Wendy Fisher. I am a part-time instructor at Kuiper and a spiritual director. I'm Mike McCarty, coordinator of vocation, calling, and community life. I'm Brian Telsrow, professor of youth ministry uh, and director of our ministry leadership program at Kuiper. Michelle Norquist, director of library services. This chapter is really about lament and uh, is uh, the first chapter. And so one of my first questions that I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on is why do you think the authors here set this up with lament as the first chapter. Uh, we talked a bit about this last week with the introduction and preface, and we've actually seen this as this is a very relevant topic now um, with all that's going on with racism in the United States. Um, why start with lament? I mean, some of the answers in, in the chapter, and we'll talk about that, but what do you think uh, is a reason that this is the first thing in, that uh, we're being told to, to listen to and to, to really engage in? Well, my first reaction uh, would be that it's really important for us to understand the challenges that folks have faced in the midst of this um, crisis. I mean, again, knowing what, what uh, folks have gone through to uh, the challenges they face is to fully grasp and understand the, the, the lament of uh, what people have experienced. And until we understand what that is, it's really hard to know where we move forward. So I think the listening piece is a critical part of that process. And so I, I think that's a critical place to start. Uh, I know it was a huge impact for me in my journey, uh, uh, in my seminary education early on when I was starting in a ministry with Young Life. And uh, we had uh, a, a urban experience intensive in Chicago. And again, I experienced things in that two weeks that I never grasped, even though I, you know, Grew up in an urban uh, high school, urban setting uh, high school, just never really cluing into uh, what uh, my um, black friends were experiencing in their own world until that happened. It's like, wow, I have a lot to learn about what uh, my own experience has been, how different that is, even though we're in the same community. Uh, and so uh, I think it's a great place to start. Yeah. So even if we aren't the ones lamenting, being the listeners to hear the laments of others and to receive those laments. Most certainly. One of the reasons I thought it makes sense to start here. I mean, one of the things they talk about in the book is 
we're sort of pain averse. So we want to skip this part. And so that's why it's critical to start here. Um, but the other thing I thought really is this lament is for everyone, like whether it's for people who have experienced um, what is talking about here, those who are allies, friends of people, and those of us who are part of the problem. Like yeah. we all can lament um, together. And the, so I just feel like starting with the lament is like, this applies to everyone, Where, wherever you find yourself in this story and in the systems of racism, you are called to lament. You have things to lament. Um, you should lament. Yeah. And what the uh, author says in this chapter too, this grief and lament is needed at the, at the start because it's only in naming the trauma, right? In hearing the stories and grieving that you can move forward. Mm -hmm. So it allows for um, a narrative, a narrative release that can help you move forward into the future as even her subtitle kind of implies. But um, uh, yeah, uh, she, she writes beautifully of, of this lament as the first step in moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I one of the quotes that really stood out to me was the, um, after kind of describing some situations, on uh, page 11, she writes, uh, from the situations I've just described, plus other personal experiences of pain, I confess to a deep anguish and impatience. I grieve. I also know that this personal experience is not unique to me alone. It is a collective happening. It's a duplicated in the lives of black individuals, families, and communities, regardless of the location, socioeconomic level, age or stage, gender, religious affiliation, or political orientation. Um, so I'm feeling like, yeah, it applies to all of us. And the better we understand that, the easier we can to move forward. And I don't think the understanding is even close to where it needs to be. But I think the recent yeah. events have helped us to kind of grasp where is all this anger and, and built up uh, angst coming from. And it's like, wow, we, we probably haven't done our work in terms of understanding the, the plight. And uh, So I, I think that's a great place for us to kind of springboard from the conversation. Yeah, we've got a ways to go. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of stories to listen to. We've got much to learn. So, I mean, some of this has come out already that the question about, um, you know, sometimes we're quick to skip over lament. Um, and I know one of the critiques, particularly for uh, those in white communities, is that we want to quickly move to fix it and quickly move to action. The, the author here spends quite a bit of time actually uh, dealing with the number of sermons and hymns and things like that and evaluating, counting some that lament has been removed from our language, our, our church and our, our ministry and our worship. Um, would, you, would you agree with that assessment? I mean, do you see that as, as true? Do you see any improvement in those areas? Um, is lament something that we're not very good at and perhaps even have attitudes um, that don't really want to engage in lament? Yeah, I would say there's a fair amount of folks that um, want to just kind of turn away from that and really don't want to engage in the challenge of, of understanding what has been my part in the process. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, you know, if I just turn away from it, I, I don't have to deal with that. But if I really understand and listen, I am going to have to go through a real sense of lament and, and, and then what's going to change. So there's it, some uncomfortability even with, 
allowing lament because it's probably going to make me have to ask some things about the way I live too. Exactly. Yeah, the, the movement away from the confession part um, in worship services, mm. which is where lament might typically come up um, and towards you know, opening with praise songs, right? It's about the praise songs. Um, so I think we have, we have seen that shift. Now, is there a, a movement away from that that would be, that's a good question. I mean, I think this, um, our discussions, you know, the, and this book helps us to, to think about that and, and um, try to make changes there. And, and perhaps some churches are, are already making those changes. Yeah, I know the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship has produced some things on lament and songs of lament, partly in response to what she's identifying here that for quite a while, it's it was it's been extracted from our our worship diet, our our language in both preaching and in in singing in particular. You know, she talks in here about sort of the three movements of lament. Yeah. You know, the nature naming the nature of the wound, questioning why, and then seeking answers and responses from God. And I I guess I wonder if maybe some some of us do some of those things. But do we do all three of those movements consistently and well together? And, and do we have a good understanding, theology, that lament is done in faith, um, that it, it is seeking answers and responses from God? It's, it's not complaining without purpose or without intention or without prayer. Um, so I think... If we've gone away from lament, it might be too that we need to reinforce our understanding of what lament is and that God welcomes it and invites it and is in it with us. Yeah, so we need like a recovery of the theology of lament mm -hmm. um, and the practical theology of lament. I mean, I appreciate what she does here and in including this, this list of, you know, go read these Psalms, mm -hmm. go engage with these Psalms. I mean, this language is all over in the Psalms especially, but I mean, it's all over the Bible, um, mm -hmm. you know, mentioning that Jesus wept and, and David wept. And this is a real um, faith-filled action and not something that we just have to get over, uh, move past and ignore. And that you won't, grief doesn't work like that, right? Just right. ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Right. So we've been given by God this process um, toward transformation and healing, but it begins with naming the pain. Yeah. And it seems like that's a big part of her argument here is that for, you know, Christians in particular, but even more in general, like if we skip the lament, we will not actually get to the process of healing and moving forward. We can't skip the lament. So are there other pieces that, that you wanted to identify that you said, yeah, this really struck me. I starred, I highlighted, I really wanted to, I want to make sure we talk about. Yeah, one of the things that really jumped off the page for me was the stage of rage. Mm. Right? And watching the, uh, the destructiveness that took place even here in downtown Grand Rapids. Right. We oftentimes look at that and says, I don't get it. Why destroy your own city? People who are trying to make a living, people who are just basic in their um, um, businesses that they run downtown. But uh, I get it when you're, when you're not being listened to um, and you're, you've dealt with this for decades, 
uh, you're thinking, how could we not be further than where we are uh, in given these senseless kind of acts that, that seem to be senseless of uh, way abuse of power uh, to people who have uh, don't yet deserve that kind of uh, beh behavior or but again, again, it's no um, 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 judgment, so to speak, on our authorities because again, they have a they have a tough role to play as well. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, things have not gone the way that they should, and people aren't here being heard, and so rage kind of comes out as a result of that. And I think at any time, you got to ask the question: Okay, where is this coming from? Why has this occurred to this level? And when you start to really grasp it, it's like hey, people aren't just aren't being heard, and they've they're they've had enough. And granted, there are people that want to do peaceful approaches to things, but if, if you're not being heard in the peaceful deal, you're going to rage out. And so that, that brought some understanding for me as to why, even though I don't like it, I hate it when I see it because that destruct, it takes a lot to, to get things to that, to that place. And, uh, but at the same time, you recognize, okay, we need to do a better job of listening and making some change and differences and things that are yeah. Well, and I appreciate, you know, rage is one of these, you know, she yeah. outlines this movements of grief. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is really a, an expression of grief, of sorrow. Um, like you said, Brian, of, of not being listened to. Um, and I think that's, yeah, us then not listening to their expression of not being listened to just creates this vicious cycle where we're never going to move forward in that. And I like how she broke it up into constructive rage and destructive rage and didn't necessarily like evaluate constructive rage is only good and destructive rage is only bad, but that there's two different kinds of rage, just constructive and destructive, and both are expressions of grief and both, I mean, really have their place, even if we don't always like it. Well, and I noticed too, she's in that section on rage. Um, she says, it's a way of drawing attention to the story of their marginalization, oppression. And then earlier, when she's talking about, you know, how do we come alongside people? How do we practice lament? The first thing was pay attention. Right. And so just what highlights for me is the sense of paying attention how critical that is being present to stories believing people's stories asking for people's stories knowing what's going on um, in our communities in the lives of the people around us in our students you know for as we're thinking of educators in this this call to pay attention and not ignore um, these different situations for whatever reason we would choose to ignore them she is a quintessential educator yeah because she not only talks about these things she then she demonstrates how to lament in the course of her chapter so that she names all kinds of very personal things her own grief um, associated with with certain um, stories that affected her um, she um, she goes through and names um, all kinds of events of the last several years. You know, she meant, she tells the story of Eric Garner. Mm -hmm. She tells the story of Donald Neely. She tells the story of Emmanuel AME in South Carolina um, and others as well. And so she's naming those things um, that are so full of hurt 
Um, so she's, yeah, she's showing us how to do that, to pay attention, to hear the stories, to say the stories, just to say the names even, yeah. uh, right, of all yeah. of these uh, people that have been killed and state clearly the oppression that has happened. I mean, and on pages 12 and 13, where she just kind of lists a whole bunch of the inequities, um, the, the footnotes are 80% of the page. Like this is also really well researched. Mm -hmm. Like she knows what she's talking about. This is authoritative. And then she pulls out a few of these stories and yeah, really um, educates us. One of the pieces I also like, and Lisa, you kind of mentioned this, that she models for us how to lament is these different, the movements of grief and lamentation, some on 16 to 19, the silence and multiple types of silence. And then, you know, she, again, as an incredible educator, she breaks it down into three different kinds of silence, the humbling silence, the, the restless silence, where she talks about rocking or pacing or wringing your hands, and then a coerced silence. Um, I found that really helpful to think in terms of you know, a lot of times questions get raised of like, well, why didn't they report this earlier? Or how come we're just now hearing about this? Well, there's a lot of grief involved and the way that people respond to grief can often be either coerced silence or even just they, they don't have words to express it and they don't know what to say. And there's sometimes fear wrapped up with it and everything. Um, there's a lot of history behind it. And so I found that a really helpful education on, uh, not only how to lament, but also how to receive the way other people are lamenting and grieving. I, I also found that whole section on silence to be incredible. Um, new, new for me. Yeah. New, new insights. Definitely um, recommend folks reading that page, or those pages on the ways of lament, all those named ways of lament, yeah. including silence. But, her history lesson there too on silent protest yeah. parades was so interesting. 1917, one against lynching. Yeah. Um, and and her explanation that that fear is such a paralyzing um, thing. That is that's part of this silence, right? It's mm -hmm. it's shock and it's fear and it's it's paralyzation. And so the uh, incredible demonstration of that in a, in a, a protest of silence, of silent uh, protest parade. Um, it really was, was moving to read about it. Yeah. Any of these other movements of grief that struck any of you, the questioning or the repression? I think um, about the questioning part, um, I appreciated that um, she, she's really addressing a, a myth here yeah. that questioning God is blasphemy. Um, and so she's reminding us, you know, no, let's look at the biblical examples. And this, um, this is what God invites us to do. Appreciated that as well. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's coming back to what Wendy said earlier. I mean, that kind of theology of lament that it's not only okay, but God actually invites us into this. And one thing I thought about is reading this, you know, is we ourselves as educators have to ask, are we come, are we willing to do this? Right? Like do, cause she says, you know, for some it's considered improper or blasphemous to summon God's wakefulness and, you know, question. 
And I was like, I think we need to ask ourselves that, like, especially if we're looking to model um, mm -hmm. or to invite others, you know, making sure we ourselves believe this or we're on a path to believing it enough to practice it. You know, we see it labeled in scripture several times. Obviously, we've already referred to the Psalms, psalmist uh, identifying those laments of how long, O oh Lord, will you keep your face from me? Mm -hmm. How long will I rest in this despair of which I'm, I'm feeling? You know, giving space for folks to be able to doubt, to question, um, is part of the journey. We oftentimes look at doubt and expressions of anger and questioning of God as, oh, you, you don't have enough faith. Your faith is weak because you're doing so. And I think it's just the opposite. I think there's a sense of really being able to call out to God in, in um, whether it's despair and anger, grief, all that is, is expressing the real human emotions uh, that too much of our culture has said to folks, no, these are bad. You shouldn't do that. And especially as believers, as followers of Christ, it's like you question God, what you, you must really not have much faith. Right. Yeah, I think it's just the opposite. We need to create the space to allow folks to express that, that sense of anger and anguish and lament. Uh, and, but again, I, I think it has to be seen as something as part of the journey. Right. Uh, and I have also found that if we do that in the context of relationship with folks, you're not threatened by it. We're, we're threatened when we don't know where that person is coming from or what they're doing. But if I know that person and they're expressing this lament and know that we're gonna walk through this together, that's a safe place. That's, a, that's okay to, to recognize. That's part of the journey of faith. And we need to give that context, uh, that relational context, to help for that expression to happen. Uh, and I think what's happened in a lot of our, our cultures and cities and communities is we've still been very segregated from that. And we don't have those cross-cultural relationships that help us to understand what people have gone through. And until we are intentional about building those relationships, and I, I recognize I have to be much more cognizant of that myself with folks who are in my circles uh, and doing so, as well as think about, okay, where do I need to start plugging into and understanding what uh, people have gone through and then I can under and walk with them in the context of relationship to allow that place to be able to, that those expressions, those emotions to be shared. I think that's so key. I mean, hearing stories, being in relationship. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Come to Kuiper College and take Dr. Telzero's class on relational ministry. Yeah. Well, that's one thing to talk about. It's a whole different thing to do it. Yeah. So before we move to the kind of the, the second, the end, the part of the chapter, are there any other pieces that you want to talk about in this first section about grief, lament, the movements of lament and grief? It's early in the chapter. I think that, um, you know, we're in a process of pain to possibility and then when she's talking about the movements of lament, she talks about meaning making. And, you know, I love this transformation and making meaning out of things and asking questions and reflecting. Um, and I think there's a lot of nuance to this of how do we move from pain to possibility in a way that doesn't minimize the pain. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't move too quickly through it to like, well, let's make meaning out of this. And so I just, it just posed the question for me of like, okay, what, how do I practice this journey of meaning making in a way that does justice to the pain and the possibility, holding those both together and not letting one eclipse the other, um, but 
but sort of seeing that as a relationship or a process that's probably not always linear, like, oh, now I'm in the pain and now I'm in the possibility, right? But just, you know, conceptually, I love it and I believe it. I just am working through how, how do we, and I mean, she gives guidance, but that's just one thing I'm like, it still has nuance of how to work that out in, in life. I definitely think there's a temptation to jump from, okay, we lamented for a couple of seconds. Now let's go to the end of the chapter and go figure out what we're supposed to do from this. And not really that, like, you know, the talking about sitting in that grief. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't help but hear the story of Job and Job's mm-hmm. friends, quote unquote friends, who come in and like, well, here's your problems. Here's all your answers. Here's the reasons. It's like, no, we just, you just, for a while, you just need to sit with that. Sometimes that's necessary. Often that's necessary. Leaders and educators, you know, do we, we're, we're walking with people and lament, um, you know, we're taking cues from them of how are we, of this movement to between sitting with the pain and then kind of reflecting on what's next. Um, so, you know, we guide them in that, but we're not doing that process for anyone. Right. So without unintentionally doing what we're saying we shouldn't do, you know, <laughs> she does start moving toward, okay, what are the possibilities? What is this way forward? How do we make meaning at the next step? Um, and so at the end of this chapter, there's a few pages on pedagogy, on education, on teaching. Um, and I, I highlighted a quote here on page 25, right under a couple of uh, quotes from the Bible from Amos 5, 24 and Isaiah 61, um, where she says, I'm saying that Christian religious education is about pointing persons through grief and lamentation so that they can claim God's call to confront actions and change structures that hinders persons' wellness, rightful place, and equal participation in community, as well as equal access to opportunities to both survive and thrive. I mean, I love that quote there. But then she like, again, well masterly breaks us down into these different practices of assessment and and awareness and engaging grief lament and questioning of what's next on the awareness in the awareness um section this it's a fairly short section but Mm um kind of going back to some of her other other statements about what has made her lament okay that she's she's aware she's listening she's hearing the stories and so and that's that awareness piece one of the things that struck me in in all of her own um awareness is um you know all the stories that she she tells and one that stuck out was her mentioning of microaggressions Mm -hmm. um and then naming some of those right racial profiling on the highways surveillance of places and businesses, the, um, the assumptions of criminality, all those things that um, dehumanize people that we may not say, you know, we may not point, be able to point to those on the news. Right. But these are in the everyday lives of the people um, around her. They're in the everyday, everyday lives of the people around us. And um, and I know that from listening to them in class. I happen to be in a class where I where I um, have students 
reflect on some of these things. And the stories are real. I mean, those are our students. Our students are experiencing these microaggressions and our students and me, we are perpetrating these. We are doing these things that we would call, you know, microaggressions against others. Um, And so this um, awareness uh, not only allows for people to lament, which is what we want, but then it also helps us to examine our own practices, our own heart, and try to see where are we actually the cause of others' lament. Yeah. When I, I think, you know, microaggressions is a great example of this. Like being able to put labels to things or, you know, descriptors to them. Um, because I'd agree, like, I know there's times where I've said things or done things that could easily be identified as microaggressions. Um, I, I think just having some of that language for it is is really helpful, hopefully in a way that's kind of disarming so that it's not just like, wait, what are you accusing me of? But is like, okay, yeah, thank you. I want, I want to, I want to work with it. I want to work for, I want to improve. I want to get better at this. Um, I don't want to be committing microaggressions all over the place. Um, so I think that's the awareness helps us live better. One thing I noted was her, her process of coming alongside people um, and helping them, them lament really is asking a lot of questions mm-hmm. and then noticing how God has acted before in the lives of Christian, you know, people now, but also the biblical narrative. And what I wrote in my margin is like, she's, she doesn't, she's not trying to defend God or like Job's friends explain it. She's right. not trying to defend herself, you know, or I mean, she's not needing to defend herself, but she's not trying to defend what God has done or explain it. She's, she's really encouraging people to enter into their experience of God through scripture and their own life and discover um, who God is and how God acts and what they believe. And so, you know, that type of pedagogy, I really noticed um, that it, you know, it takes, takes the hands off the reins a little bit and, and let's leads to more discovery than explanation is meaningful for students. Yes. Yeah. And again, she's not, hesitant to actually write out these actual questions, mm-hmm. these challenging questions to God. And like, here they are, who is God? And where was he in the toughness of life? Why is he silent? And yeah, like you said, doesn't have to feel compelled to give some kind of philosophical answer, but then says, well, let's look at the biblical stories. Like, let's go to scripture and see who is God. And is he there in the toughness? And, you know, of course, I mean, I, I love that she uses the word theodicy in here and it's very theologically rich. Um, you know, God is present, but point to the God who is there in the suffering and the God who has suffered himself in Jesus on the cross. I mean, where's, where is God? He's right there in it. Quoting Aubrey Sampson, mm-hmm. that she makes the audacious claim that grief won't be contained. Grief won't stay hidden. Grief explodes. From her perspective, there's a louder song to be sung, a summons from God to accept the invitation to, quote, create a pathway from pain to possibility. Lament is that pathway. 
Yeah, I had that marked as well as what's following through it. People enter a journey of creating, quote, a pathway between the already and mm -hmm. the not yet. <laughs> oh, that sounds like what we talk about at Kuiper. <laughs> it anticipates new creation, but also acknowledges the pain painful reality of now. Again, that like reality and truth. Like, yes, there is a hope in the future, but there is still pain in the reality right now. Well, this is earlier in the chapter, but it connects to that. Um, she's quoting Carlene Bryce. With so many losses, it's difficult to resolve our collective grief. Mm. So I think too, not thinking of just individual events or you, you know, but really this is just wave after wave, year after year of kind of is feeling like, is there even opportunity to heal before I, there's another crushing thing that happens. So just, I think what I, what struck me is just recognizing this sense of collective grief. Yeah being aware of that um, for people, being aware of that for students coming into our classrooms. You know, what, what are people experiencing um, that isn't resolved or that feels difficult to resolve um, when it comes to grieving? And how that's compounded when it's a collective. Like there's just, it, it, there's, there's more and more, you know, it's not just added up, but that it exponentially. Yeah, I was struck uh, finally with that last question, what's next? Yeah. Again, in the midst of all those angst and uh, expressions of grief or whatnot, we have to address, okay, where do we go from here? And so I was encouraged by the, the, the statement of just recognizing that these chapters that, that follow uh, present answers uh, to these questions in the perspective of religious education as an advocacy promoting ministry in the public lives of Black people. I was like, okay, good. That presented a, a framework for which we're going forward. Because folks want to know, what do we do next? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. Um, so it, it creates some anticipation of trying to identify, uh, where do I go from here? What do I need to be doing uh, that can help uh, build some of that advocacy, those connections uh, that need to happen as a result of the laments that have been expressed? Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a great chapter for people asking, what should I do? Yeah. Right now, because, you know, it lays, she lays out, pay attention, become aware, enter this process of lament. Here's what the process looks like. Ask these questions, you know, listen for these stories. Really doable um, thing, things that anyone can do if they wanna choose or when they wanna choose to enter in. So I thought too, it, it just leaves a lot of hope that there are things to be doing that also will lead to justice and further action. So are you looking forward to the rest of this book? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I am, this is, this, so far, this has been so good. So eye-opening, uh, helpful, instructive, very relevant to right now. So relevant. Yeah. So thank you all for participating in this. Uh, we'll look forward to discussing the next chapters. Uh, some of you will be on there and some of us will be uh, listeners and we'll have others participating in the discussion as well. So thank you listeners for uh, listening to this episode of the podcast and we will talk to you all next time.